everlasting kingdom, which will not pass away. Blessed be his holy name. Um, and sometimes I wonder if there aren't things that, okay, that's, that's okay for Yaakov and Ori <laughs> back then. But I wonder if there, isn't, if there aren't things in the church that we can come to odds about and someday find out <sighs> it was right there in front of our faces all along. Just as, as if uh, Yaakov and Ori endured and, and saw uh, Jesus and saw the death and resurrection and come to understand Messiah. I just wonder if there's things that we have like that. So, the um, the thing I want to get to here is that we need to be aware to not bring preconceived ideas or assumptions to God's Word and read them into the text. That somehow through the use of the teachings of men or traditions of men or something like that, that these things, they stick to our eyes like like tinted glasses, and they interfere with our understanding of exactly what God has plainly said. Um, Or that we would put God's Word in a box and look at it in a narrow way that the Holy Spirit never intended when He inspired the Word. Now, I had a pastor uh, when I was between the ages of about 18 and 23, Pastor Randall Rice, very dear to my heart. He's the one who got me into the Scriptures. God used him to cause me to be hungry for His Scriptures. God used him to get me reading through my Bible from cover to cover every year. And uh, the first time through, so, so I, I, I dearly love him. He, it cha- his ministry changed my life um, because of, the, um, of getting into God's Word. And, act- and as I went through the Bible for the first time from cover to cover, I had a lot of questions, and he mentored me through that, answered my questions, helped me to understand. Um, like I said, it, it, was a, it changed my life forever. For that to happen. So one day I came to him with a question. Oh, well, there were a lot of them, but one particular question I want to focus on. And I said, you know, Pastor, I read the Bible here and I, I honestly see a pre-tribulation rapture. I said, but, but <clears throat> I also am reading along here and every once in a while I find a verse and I go, wow, that sure sounds like mid-trib to me. And then I said, and then there's other places I read it and I go, Oh, that sounds like a post-trib rapture. I said, what, what am I missing here? Where am I getting it wrong? He looked at me, kind of smiled a little bit and said, who told you there's only one rapture? <laughs> it was a surprise, a shock to me that I had had a preconceived notion about what it should be. And yet what God clearly teaches is that there are several gatherings. Now, before you start accusing me stuff, because you probably all heard the same thing, that if you find something in the Scripture that nobody else has ever seen before, you're probably wrong. Okay, Pastor Rice saw it. (laughs) So there's one. I see it. That's two. And in fact, Pastor Tom and, and Pastor Joey were at a conference or a retreat just last year, if I remember right, and somebody at, at, the, at that uh, conference, pastor's conference, said, actually, there are several gatherings. So I know, is that correct? Yep. And so I know that other people have seen it, so I'm not the first or only. Okay, so you, that doesn't mean that I can't be wrong about something, but, <laughs> but I feel pretty comfortable about this. <clears throat> and so I had an assumption about the rapture, and um, 
when we make an assumption or we jump to conclusions, that is not as good an exercise as digging for facts. Digging for facts is always a better exercise than jumping to conclusions. That's good for just about everything, but it also fits when we're reading God's word. This was one of my first opportunities to see that I should not bring assumptions to the text and I should read the Bible without tinted glasses and just believe what God has said. Just believe what God said. Believe the Bible text. That's our takeaway. Now I could probably say amen and pray because that's if you get that, that's, that's but I still have some time. We're, we're going to fill that. Okay. So I see three future gatherings, possibly four. I'll explain that later. <clears throat> and I've come to understand that I'm not the first person to see this. But if I say rapture, 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 that can be confusing. So now I don't know anybody else that's done this. I'm going to give them different names. All right. <laughs> I've got some names that we'll put up on the screen. Um, so what I'm going to, uh, instead of putting rapture, 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 I'm going to propose rapture, reaping, and rallying. Those are actually kind of my three points, rapture, reaping and rallying. Of course, for rapture, you know it's going to be First Thessalonians chapter 4. And in verse 17, it uses the Greek word harpazo, harpazo. And that means to be seized or snatched. Uh, in fact, sometimes it's even used in the sense of like robbery. It's the, I mean, it's used um, 14 times in the New Testament. But that's the word that is used in First Thessalonians 4.17 as the, the church is going to be snatched or seized. And then we're going to look at later, um, later we'll look at Revelation 14, verses 14 and 15, and I'm going to call that the theridzo, theridzo, that means reap, uh, actually means I reap, but, and, and harpazo means I seize, but th- those are the lexical, form, the dictionary forms of the words. And then finally we'll look in Matthew chapter 24, verses 30, 31, and we're going to call that episunago. Episunago, which means a gathering, to gather together. And so, first, when the rapture, when I say rapture tonight, I'm going to mean a pre tribulation snatching up or seizing of the saints. The reaping is going to refer to the mid tribulation gathering of the believers, people who come to Christ after the um, rapture. And then the rallying would be people who um, only came to believe after that mid-term, uh, mid-trib uh, rapture. It uh, would be the post-tribulation gathering at the return of Jesus when he comes to earth, when he, when he defeats the beast, uh, when he has Satan bound and he sets up his 1,000-year reign. So first, if I'm going to talk about these other raptures, I have to establish that there is a pre-trib rapture. I taught on the rapture back in 2020 on... Um, July 8th, and then I talked about the millennium on March 22nd of 2023. In both of those, I talked about the rapture to some degree, and I gave evidences for a pre-tribulation rapture, and I don't have time tonight to redo all that again. I have some that I'll repeat, but I have additional things I'm going to talk about too. Uh, But just the fact that that's out there. And then Pastor Sean, when he was here, he taught on the rapture. I think that was in October of 2022. So there are... uh, Resources available. I think they're all still out on the um, website. Um, but since we're going to talk about the other gatherings, it's necessary to mention a few reasons why it is a pre-tribulation rapture. The rapture is first mentioned by Jesus in John 14, verses 1 through 3. Um, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. 
leave also on me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's the first mention of the rapture, is the uh, Jesus, his own words. Uh, how is this not referring to a second coming? The destination's different. When he comes back to earth, so we go up to the sky and we come back with him. And that's not what he said. He said, I'm going to come and get you and take you where I am so that where I am, you can be there too. This is, we're, we're going to go to be with him. Okay, so that's the destination. And then, of course, I've said you can turn to First Thessalonians. We'll go ahead and read that. Um, well, no, not yet. Let's, uh, let's wait on that. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4.17, though, we talked about harpazo means to be seized or caught up or snatched away. Uh, and it's uh, one of the reasons that the rapture is pre-trib is one of the obvious reasons, I think, is because it's in the outline that Jesus gave us for the book of Revelation. In uh, Revelation 119, Jesus commanded John to write, uh, he commanded him, therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. After what things? After the church things, because he's goes ahead and dictates uh, seven letters to seven churches. And then after he finishes, chapter 2 and 3 are all the letters to the seven churches. Uh, and among other things, I believe that those, those specific churches with their specific characteristics also give us a map of the church age. And, and you can even pinpoint time periods in them for the church age. And then after the last letter to the last church, in Revelation chapter one and uh, chapter four verses one and two, it says, "After these things, okay, he said, write the things you've seen." Okay, I saw Jesus, and he was white, and he, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his his you know feet looked like burnished bronze, and and he he wrote the things that he saw. Write the things that are. That's the churches, the time of the churches, and write the things that will be after these things. And so the very next thing after he finishes the letters to the churches, the very next thing is after these things. Okay, I'll pick it up again here. I just want to underscore, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one was sitting on the throne. And I'll, I'll stop there. <clears throat> and I further believe that the come up here is a picture of the rapture. And the after these things, after what things? After the church things. Chapter 3, verse 22, which is the last in the last letter to the seventh church, the Laodiceans, that is the last time that we find in Greek the word ekklesia, for a time. The church doesn't show up anywhere in the book of Revelation until we get to the very, very end. So chapter 3, verse 22 is the last time the ecclesia is used. The assembly is what it means, the assembly. And it's it isn't mentioned again until 2216 in the wrap-up of the book, where it says, I, Jesus, sent my angel to bear witness to you, all, it's plural, you all, of these things for the churches, and it's plural. And so this isn't talking about the church. When he says churches, plural, he's talking about individual assemblies. He's not talking about sometime in the future, 
after the millennium, after the new heavens and new earth and all that kind of stuff, and he's coming back to the end, and it's after all that stuff. He's saying, he's giving this to the churches. Um, he said, I, I sent my angel to bear witness to you all of the things for the churches. So he's talking about, that's why I'm talking to you right now, while we still have churches. Okay. So this is a collection of individual assemblies. So the church is mentioned there, but it's not listed as a future thing on earth. Okay, And then again in Revelation twenty two seventeen, the bride is mentioned. It says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. So after the future events have been revealed, the church is never mentioned after the last letter to the last church in chapter 3, verse 22. Church never shows up again until the wrap up at the end. And so I think that's one of the, um, the fact that he says, well, Talk about the things after these things. It's after the period of the churches and then the fact that the church does not show up at all um, until the very, very end. Uh, that we just seem to be absent from everything that's going on. Chapter 6 through 18 in the book of Revelation are covering Daniel's 70th week, showing that this seven-year time period is split up in two halves. In Revelation 11.2, 13.5, it says it refers to two segments of 42 months. That's three and a half years. In Chapter 11, verse 3, and chapter 12, verse 6, it makes reference to 1,260 days. And on a 360-day calendar, that is three and a half years. And then in chapter 12, verse 14, it refers to a time, times, and half a time, which is also used in Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 12. It's an Aramaic idiom for three and a half years. So this is a seven-year time frame. It's completely compatible with what Daniel said in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Literal seven-year period of time. Um, and then after chapter 18, that's 6 through 18, and after 18, that's chapter 19. That's when Jesus returns to earth and sets up his millennial kingdom here. So why is the church not mentioned in all the way from chapter 6 to, well, to the end of the book through 18 and all that? It's because we're not here. We're not here. Now, in Daniel chapter 9, hmm, maybe I should have read that. Let's go ahead and read. I, had, I already had my Bible open, 1 Thessalonians. Let's go ahead and read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Sorry about that. Um, verse 13, that I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So when we die, we go to be, our soul, our spirit goes to be with Jesus, and he brings us back with him, the, the ones who have already died, he brings them back with him. Okay, let's get that again. So if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, so he brings back the souls, the spirits of those who already died, because to to be at home in the body is to be absent from the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord, right? So all those that we love that, have already, that are saved, who have already gone to be with Jesus, they come back with them. Their bodies are raised. They're brought back to the whole beings again, and then we all go up together. So the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. 
Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Okay, now let's go ahead and go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to start with verse 24 and note some things here because we've talked about this great tribulation being a seven-year time period, and we get this because it's coming out of um, Daniel Daniel chapter 9's 70 weeks, all right? 70 weeks, and that's actually sevens in Hebrew, 70 sevens, are determined for your people and for your holy city. Take note of that. This isn't about the church. He doesn't say 70 weeks are determined for, well, 69 are determined for your people, and one of them is determined for the church, or anything like that. That's just these all 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your city, your holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in righteous, everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and and build Jerusalem. Okay, so that was in the book of Nehemiah. The stopwatch started clicking right there. When the king said, build Jerusalem, the the clock's going. All right. So from the time um, of going forth of the command to to restore and, and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. So until the time of Jesus, till Messiah, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, which is actually after the seven. So there's seven sevens and then there's 62 sevens. And after that, after the 62, which is a total of 69 weeks, Messiah will be cut off. That's what we were talking about earlier. He will be cut off, and not, uh, but not for himself. And the people um, of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Okay, there's the last one. We've counted up 69. Here's the 70th one. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Uh, but in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to the sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. And so we have this one week that's left. Well, if there were 69 weeks and there was just one more week, one more set of seven years, how come? how is it that it wasn't right at the, after the others? Well, it's because he says that after the 69, Messiah will be cut off. Okay, And then the prince of the people who is to come, that's the Romans, they shall come and destroy the city and sanctuary. That didn't happen until 70 A.D. When Messiah was cut off, let's just say it's 33 A.D. I know there's questionable things about the um, calendar, but let's just say 33. Well, okay, that's going to be another 37 years, right? So, And for another week is only seven, so that means like maybe even before Paul ever got saved, that means the 70th week, if it was all if it was all one piece, but we had the building of the the city of Jerusalem, that's when the clock started ticking. Once Jesus came in and was presented to the people as Messiah riding the donkey, just as the prophet said, when he came and was cut off, that's when the clock, was the stopwatch was stopped again. And the stopwatch will remain stopped until a covenant is made. The rapture is not the kickoff for the great tribulation or for the 70th week, the covenant is. But I think it's going to be something that follows closely. All right. So we're talking about a literal seven years uh, for the book of Revelation. 
There was a guy, um, Sir Robert Anderson, um, and he mapped this all out. He took the 69 weeks of years, and he took the date of the count where the, when the clock started ticking um, to rebuild Jerusalem, and he figured out that it comes right to Palm Sunday of the, the week that Jesus was crucified. And that is available on Blue Letter Bible in the commentary section. If you look at Anderson underscore Robert there, for, or just it'd probably be a link under Robert Anderson, you can see his calculations and how he, he went about figuring this out. So, again, this 70th week is for your people and your holy city. It is about the Jewish people and about Jerusalem. It is not about the church. Not for the ecclesia. Okay, and we talked about the, the pause, all right? I, I get ahead of myself and i got to figure out what I need to skip here. Um, so in the middle of the week the 70th week begins with a covenant in the middle of the week he brings an end to sacrifice and offering we have the um, abomination of desolation and um, that divides the seven years into two halves of three and a half years if the first 69 weeks are literal 69 sets of seven then the 70th one is also literal okay how could it not be literal? And then in Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 1 through 9, kind of a long passage here. But the word which came to Jeremiah from Yahweh, saying, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Write all the words which I have spoken to you in a book. For behold, days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will return the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah. Yahweh says, I will also cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. You go, well, okay, that's already fulfilled. That was back when they came back from Babylon, right? Nope, we've got to keep the context here, right? Let's keep going then. Now, these are the words which Yahweh spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus says Yahweh, we have heard the sound of trembling, of dread, and there is no peace. Ask now and see if a male can give birth. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in childbirth? And why have all the faces turned pale? Alas, for the day is great. There is none like it. Okay, now there's something else Jesus was talking about back in Matthew 24. He said there's never been anything like it. There'll never be anything like it again. All right, so pay attention to that. There is none like it. And it is the times of Jacob's distress. But he will be saved from it. And it will be in that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off the neck, off your neck and tear off your bonds, and strangers will no longer make them their slaves, but they shall be a slave to Yahweh their God and to David their king, whom I will raise up for them. So, the last time Israel ever had a king was when Zedekiah was king of Judah. And whenever he was uh, taken to Babylon, that was about approximately 590 B.C. And when it comes to the northern kingdom of Israel, after you have the division of the kingdoms, Hosea was king. He was taken to Assyria in 722 B.C. And so all this time up till now, Israel has not had a king. And yet here's a promise in Jeremiah that they're going to be returned to the land. Guess what, folks? That happened before. This is before I was born. (laughs) 
<laughs> Not much before I was born. This is before I was born. They are coming back to the land. They became a nation again. And this is going to result in their um, following Yahweh and David their king. And of course, this is going to be Jesus, the son of David, the rightful heir of David's throne. Just like the, just like Gabriel told Mary before she was even, before she became pregnant with Jesus, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That has never been fulfilled, but it will be when he comes back for his thousand year reign. And that's at the end of this time of Jacob's trouble, at the end of this 70th week. And Bruce, you want to talk about the rapture? (laughs) Okay, I'm talking about why we know this has to be a pre-trib, because all these other things have to have. It's all about the Jews, right, at this point. That's what we're finding out. This is about the Jewish people. This is about the Jewish city of Jerusalem, the holy city. And it's not about the church and the fact that the ecclesia doesn't even show up. The church, the, the assembly, does not even show up in all of the book of Revelation once you get past the seven letters to seven churches until the wrap-up at the end. Mark thirteen nineteen says, For in those days there will be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. Okay, that's referring to the same time that Jeremiah was talking to. There never been anything like it. And for something this big, if there's never been anything like it, never been anything like it in the past, never be anything like it ever again, isn't it odd that the Apostle Paul never even mentions it? If if the church was going to be here for the Great Tribulation, for the 70, uh, 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, it seems like Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, he warns us about what it will be like in the last days. He tells us about the rapture. He tells us about Titus 2.14, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But he never tells us or warns us or admonishes us about anything, about any kind of participation we might have in the tribulation that there's never been anything like before or anything like it afterward in Daniel's 70th week. Paul never says anything about it. We see in the Revelation that there is an absence of not only just the church, but the gospel of grace. Whenever the gospel is given, it's don't take the mark of the beast. (laughs) It's not, you know, repent and become a child of God. Uh, It's it's not, we don't see the, the gospel of grace in the prophecies of that time period. We don't see it in the book of Revelation in that time period from chapter 6 through chapter 18. If the church was to see or be a part of these great wrath outpourings, Paul would have warned us just as he warned us about the last days. And then all through the seven-year period, there's no mention of the church. There's no mention of, no message of the church. There's no message of the gospel of grace to become children of God. There's no message about the ministry of reconciliation. It's never mentioned. We're told about two witnesses, but we don't have any indication that anything, I mean, they they give out plagues. We don't see anything about grace and the love of God and and reconciliation to God. The message of the church is not there. Why is the message of the church not there? Because the church isn't there. We're not there. 
Okay, some other quick verses on that. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Okay, then in chapter 5, verse 9, still First Thessalonians, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 3.10, to the letter, uh, the letter to the Philadelphian church, he says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. It's interesting that even in chapter 13, when it talks about the beast, that he opens his mouth and blasphemy to blaspheme God and blaspheme his name. But he also blasphemes his tabernacle. Um, you know, and the Holy Spirit lives in us uh, and it refers to those who dwell in heaven. I still I think that this is the church. Uh, and that's in Revelation chapter 13, that the, the church is not here. The church is up there and the, and he is speaking against us as well. Um, only the raptured. Now, as far as tribulation is concerned, some would say, well, the, the wrath of God is poured out in the last half. But in Revelation chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, it's obvious to the people involved that the wrath has already started. Revelation chapter 6, 16, and said this is really, really early in all of the events that are listed. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid, hid themselves in caves and among rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? So the wrath of God is being poured out. Certainly that last half is amplified, which is why we're going to be looking at a mid-trib rapture because God is true. He doesn't change. Okay? I mean, not a rapture. I mean the reaping. Sorry, I used the wrong word. We have the pre-trib rapture, but then we have a mid-trib reaping. Okay. So the wrath is it starts right afterwards. God's standard mode of judgment, his his established pattern of how he does things, is that he does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. He does not bring the wrath, his wrath, against both the righteous and the wicked. Things happen. Car wrecks happen, earthquakes happen, tornadoes happen, train wrecks happen, floods happen, things happen. That's not the wrath of God. God uses these things in people's lives. That's not the wrath of God. Persecution happens. We are the oddities, the American church. We People flock to this continent to escape persecution, but it's catching up to us. The persecution is catching up to us. We may not enjoy that forever. It may still get bad here. I'm not saying that things can't get bad. Bad things can happen. And it looks like time is running out to escape persecution. But none of these things are the wrath of God. That is not God's outpouring of his wrath against the wickedness of men. God is the one who removes the righteous before the wrath. Just some really quick examples. Back in Genesis chapter 18, when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and he told Abraham, and Abraham said, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And, of course, he will. And he said, What if there were 50 righteous people? God said, For the 50, I won't destroy it. He said, What if they lack five? What if there's only five? He said, For the 45, I won't destroy it. He said, What if there's, uh, what if there's, that lacks five, there's only 40, I won't destroy it. What if there's only 30? What if there's only 20? What if there's only 10? And every single time, six times, God says, for the sake of that number, finally, the last one was 10, I will not destroy the city. God will not do it. In fact, when they removed Lot from Sodom, what did he get told? 
hurry. He said, I want to go to this little town. And they said, hurry, I can't do anything until you get there. Wait a minute. God is sovereign. God can do anything he wants to. But God is a God who does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. He says, I can't do anything till you get there. He had to wait. And then he brought the judgment. But the righteous had to be brought out first. And if Abraham had stuck to it and said, what if there was only one? He stopped at 10. If he said, what if there was only one? God's answer would have said, still been, for the sake of the one, I will, won't destroy the city. You go, Bruce, how can you be so sure about that? Because in Jeremiah chapter 5, he says, if you can, tells Jeremiah, if you can find one man who does what's right, I'll spare the whole city. I will not let the city be destroyed. One man is all it would take to save Jerusalem, and he couldn't find one man. And that's in uh, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1. There's more than that, though. Whenever there was this great rebellion in the book of Numbers, we'll be coming to that really soon, next week, in our Bible reading uh, through the year. And so um, you have Dathan and Abiram who are, and Korah who are leading this rebellion, and God's going to deal with them. And so he sends Moses. He says, all of you guys who have tents around Dathan and Abiram, move your tents. Get all your stuff. Move it out of the way. Get away from them. And then after, after the righteous were removed, the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and Abiram and everything they had. The righteous were removed before God brought his wrath. And he wasn't going to open up the earth and swallow them until everybody else was safe. That's just the way our loving God operates. That's way, the way our God of grace operates. He does this over and again. In 1 Kings chapter 14, Jeroboam had a son who died. Why did he die? God gave the reason. He says, because I found something good in him. Jeroboam is the one that set up the golden calf in Bethel and, and one in Dan. And, and his, his name kind of became, as you read through the Old Testament, Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who caused Israel to sin. Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who caused Israel to sin. Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who caused Israel to sin. You see that over and over again. That's how he was known. God said, I'm going to bring wrath against the house of Jeroboam. But before he could bring wrath, he had to remove the one who was good. And he did that by him dying, uh, a younger man dying uh, because something was good in him. Isaiah 57, he talks about the righteous being taken away from evil. Righteous are taken away and and people don't get what's going on. And it has to be uh, the fact that judgment's coming. Jeremiah chapter 24, he shows Jeremiah a vision of figs. And he says, I see these figs are really, really good. And these figs are really, really bad. And God tells Jeremiah, the good figs are the one that went to Babylon. Because there were several times that Nebuchadnezzar took people out of Jerusalem and took them to Babylon. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel and Ezekiel, Daniel's three friends and others, the good figs went to Babylon, and he said, I'll preserve them there. I'll take care of them there. The bad figs, I'm leaving them in Jerusalem, and they're going to get wrath. They're going to get destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. This is just the way God operates. He's done it over and over and over again, to the point where he said, I can't do anything until you're out of here. I think that all of this adds up to a pre-trib rapture too. He'll take the righteous and remove before he begins his wrath. And the wrath doesn't begin down the road, you know, halfway through. The wrath begins at the beginning, and it gets really, really bad after halfway through. So 
After the rapture, we come to the mid-trib idea. Uh, after the pre-trib rapture, we have this mid-trib reaping. <clears throat> now, at the beginning of the after after the Lamb starts opening the seals to the scroll, we see different horses. And we, there's a lot of thought about what's the white horse. The first one that comes out is the white horse. And some say it's Jesus, and some say it's the Antichrist. And, and I have a problem with making it a person at all, because all of the other horses, the red one, the black one, the pale one, they aren't people. They are things. It's famine. It's war. It's famine. It's death. So why should the first one be? I think it's righteousness. I think that I know that I have, and maybe you have too. I'll be talking to somebody, and I tell them about Jesus. I say, you need to receive Jesus. You know, things aren't going to continue this way forever. I said, if the rapture happened right now, and I'm talking to you, I'm going to be gone just like that, and you're going to know you got left, you know. And there's people that have been told that, and uh, I think that those people will, after the rapture happens, of course, there'll probably be, you know, alien abduction stuff and all kinds of stuff going on, but there's going to be people who know, who know, I was told about this. I heard about this when I was a kid in church, uh, but I didn't follow Christ as I heard about this, and that's what happened. I know this is rapture, and I think that there's going to be this salvation of people who come to Jesus. And we know the 144,000 Jews are going to come to Christ during that time period. And you look at somebody like um, the, um, the out of the ten versions, five didn't have oil, and so they were told to go get oil, but then they, they can't get in later. But if they did get oil. Okay, what about these people who come to Christ after the rapture? Well, that's not fun, that first three and a half years. It's not good. It's not fun. But before it gets really, really bad, there's going to be a reaping to remove them before the really bad comes. That's the second gathering I see. It may coincide with the two witnesses. Um, I'll talk more about that in a little bit. I, I don't know that it happens at the same time. It could happen at the same time. It doesn't. It, the scripture doesn't tie those two together. I'm just tying them together in my mind. So we have the reaping, the therizo. Um This is after the seventh trumpet, uh, but it's before the bowls. The seventh trumpet is chapter 11, verse 15. The bowl judgments start in chapter 15. In fact, after the reaping, after the, the therizo in chapter 14, verse 15, um, that's when the preparations start happening for the last seven, excuse me, seven bowl judgments. So in fourteen thirteen, Revelation fourteen thirteen, he says, "I heard a voice in, from heaven saying, okay, this is before the reaping, just before the reaping, kind of introduction to the reaping, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Okay, something's going to happen." And from now on, if they die, they're going to be better off. <laughs> if they die, they're going to be blessed um, because this is the last chance out. Okay? Um, I need to go back and finish reading that. Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds shall follow, their deeds follow with them. And so then, right after that, Verses 14 through 16, we see the therizo. Then I looked and beheld, um, and behold, a, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man. Pay attention to that. One like a son of man, having a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the sanctuary, crying out with a loud voice to him who sits on the cloud, 
Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he he who sits on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. The therizo. This is what I see as a second gathering. The people who got saved after the rapture now have the opportunity to get, because the wrath of God is going to get intense, and God is once again going to be true to himself, true to his way, true to his nature, and he is going to remove the people who are righteous before he brings, you know, a third of the earth is burned up, a third of the waters turned to blood. It's going to be pretty soon here, as we get into the bowl judgments, all the earth's getting burned up. All the water is turning to blood. It's, it's going to get really, really bad. This is the part I believe Jesus was talking about. There's never been anything like it, never thing, any, anything like it ever again either. And so we have this reaping, uh, therizo, and I see that as the second gathering. Because up to this point, we, we see the 144,000 a couple of times, but we never see the 144,000 after chapter 14, because that's where the reaping takes place. And I think that they are shown in Revelation chapter 15, right before the bowls get start being poured out. Before I go there, in chapter 14, right after this reaping, there is another reaping. That's one you don't want to be in because that reaping, it's an angel that does it, not the Lord, and the clusters get thrown into the wine press of the wrath of God. That is a reaping to judgment, not a reaping to to pull away from wrath. That is a reaping to wrath, okay? So that <clears throat> finishes out the chapter. And then in chapter 15, verse 2, And I saw something that like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. The people who were on the earth in that first three and a half years, they have been reaped. They have, been, they have their own little rapture. We're not going to call it rapture. Or they have their own reaping, and now they are also in the heavenly scene. God established uh, his mode of operation to remove the righteous before the worst wrath. And so that happens again. So the very next thing that happens after that reaping, the very next thing, the preparation for the seven bowls. That's the next thing that happens. And so the wrath of God gets really, really heavy. Okay, then possibly happening at the same time as the anabino. Anabino is when the... Uh, two witnesses were taken up. And he says, come up here. That means to, to go up. That's what anabino means, go up. So if that's a separate gathering of the two witnesses or whether the two witnesses are actually gathered at the same time as the reaping, I don't know. Um, the Bible didn't tell me. I just look at it as a possibility. Finally, post-trib. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verses 30 and 31. I call, and I gave this the name Episonago, the gathering, the rallying gathering together um, at his second coming when Jesus now we're looking to the time frame of Revelation chapter 19 uh, Jesus is talking about it in Matthew chapter 24 at his second coming it is the angels who gather the elect it says chapter 24 verses 30 and 31 then the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory not great glory well great glory might be there too power and great glory so this is revelation 19 right 
And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect. That's the gathering, um, uh, episunago, gathering his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. So this is after the, the wrath is finally done. Before he sets up his kingdom, he's going to gather his people together, but they don't get to go to heaven to be with him. Um, so there is yet another gathering. So this is at his Revelation 19 coming to defeat the beast and begin his 1,000-year reign. So the summary is don't bring assumptions to the text. If we see something, you go, that seems contradictory. Well, sometimes we need to think more broadly. I think that God has told us some people act like the Bible is a puzzle box and they got to find the button to push and they got to find the secret drawers and all that. And that is not what God's given us. He told us plainly in his word what he wants of us. You know, um, what's that one in Micah? Micah 6, 8, uh, you know, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Um, That's, you know, he's made it clear to us what we're to be doing. He's made it clear. What do we do to do the works of God? Believe in the one he sent. It's just that easy. He was just... We just believe what God has said, okay? So just believe the text and uh, come to Jesus now. You know, another thing, I think that through the years there have been, um, I I have an old book on Revelation that Pastor Rice gave me, um, and it was written, it was published in 1935, that was before Israel became a nation, and yet I see this guy writing in there, and he says, well, Israel is going to be a nation again, and they're going to have a temple again. And I go, this guy has got it right on. He's just believing what God has said. But we take, uh, go back to our original parable and say, well, you know, Messiah is going to be cut off. No Messiah reigns forever. And they say, well, cut off must not mean cut off. Cut off must mean something else. And so they get trying to reinterpret it. And I think people in history have done that and said, well, you know, Israel's not a nation. This can't be. So it must be that the church replaces Israel. And so we end up with replacement theology. It's not because that's what God said. It's just because somebody's trying to figure out something they don't understand rather than just simply believe what God has said. And I think there's other things, but I don't have time for those. So we need to just believe the text, uh, come to Jesus, live for him now. And you say, well, you know, since there's actually, a, you know, a mid-trip train leaving, uh, mid-trip uh, uh, reaping, uh, I'll just wait till then. And I, well, I think that's a bad idea because if you know the truth and reject it, you have to be aware of what it says in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, where it talks about those that they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie and that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. If you have pleasure in unrighteousness, I just don't feel real comfortable that you could somehow turn around and repent from that and not be led into a lie later on. If you can't live for Jesus today, what makes you think you can live for him when your life is online, when your neck's on the cutting block, right? So don't put it off, but rather um, believe the text and walk in his ways, follow Jesus now. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your precious word, and we thank you for your great grace and your great love, that, and, your, and, this, and to know that that's the kind of a God you are, that you spare uh, the righteous. 
from the wrath to come. And uh, even in the great tribulation, we see that you're still the same God, sparing the righteous from the wrath to come, uh, from the worst of the great tribulation. Our hearts cry out to you, Maranatha. We love you. We want to see you. But until then, bless your word to us. Teach us your ways. Lead us in your ways that we will do the good works you prepared for us beforehand to do. Help us to get those things done and uh, that they would be done to the praise of your glory. That's what it's really all about. It's about you and uh, and your glory because you are the one that is worthy. Um, we cannot begin to thank you enough for your great salvation, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We don't deserve it, and yet you've done this, and you have uh, prepared this great salvation for us. So we give you thanks, and uh, we ask you to have your way with us in Jesus' name. Amen.